0: Lifeway. Lifeway. LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.
1: You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Chandler Venoy. hey hey, uh, and an old friend, uh, Clayton King. What's up, guys? Now, um, Clayton King is well. Uh, they, they, he runs Crossroads Camps. Is a has been a. A speaker and author for years and years now. Not too many years, but years and years now. Uh, And, uh, of course, is at New Spring um, in South Carolina. And we're going to talk to him today about, you know, leadership. And he's, of course, got a new book. And um, we may mix in some COVID kind of stuff. But um, I'm kind of COVID out, man. We've talked about it a lot, for sure. It's everywhere. uh, yeah. So I don't want to do that to our listeners. Um, I, I'm already breaking a promise because uh, I, I said I wouldn't talk about dogs, um, <laughs> dogs or anything like that. We're not even a minute in. I know. I know. <laughs> but I know word. I can go here with Clayton and we can get in the weeds on specific breeds of dogs and all kinds of stuff. It, it would be really fun. But that probably wouldn't be fun for our listeners. So, uh, Clayton, tell us a little bit more Um about your yourself, your family, um, and y- y- your new book.
2: Yeah. It's good to be on here with you guys. I'm married to my best friend. We just celebrated 21 years. So this time last year, we were on sabbatical uh, in Italy. And now I'm locked down so, you know, it's the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> Married to my wife, Shari. Uh, she's also in ministry. We, we have a nonprofit uh, together that we started about 25 years ago called Crossroads Summer Camps, Crossroads Missions, Crossroads Student Conferences, Crossroads Marriage Conferences. So we're a, uh, we're, a, we're a ministry couple. We have two teenage boys. Jacob is 17. And he just surrendered to a call to ministry. So he's preaching. Awesome. And he's uh, leading a, a Bible study in a Christian group at his high school, his public school. I have a 14 year old son named JoJo, six foot one, basketball phenom, thinks LeBron is better than Jordan. <laughs> uh, we could argue with you all day about that. So that's my, my family life. I have. Uh, I have one big life, but I have two ministry jobs, uh, two ministry callings. I'm a pastor at new spring church in South Carolina, teaching pastor there. And, uh, one of the, one of a pretty large church, 14 campuses. So it's, it's complex and beautiful and amazing and challenging and just fun. And then of course my wife and I run the nonprofit crossroads ministries together. And we've been doing that for, yeah, this will be our 25th year. Um, also love to write and, I don't know why I love it so much because, man, it's a job. But just released my 17th book recently, uh, just a few days ago, actually. And uh, in my spare time, I like Smooth Jazz, Earl Grey Tea, and Long Walks on the Beach. I'm just kidding. About all three of those. I don't like any of those. <laughs>
1: None of this is
2: true. <laughs> <laughs> I was, everything else is true. The Smooth Jazz, not so much. <laughs> long Walks in the Woods Behind Dogs. That's exactly right. It may... Okay, I dreamed last night that, that we were in the mountains. It was hunting season. It was a cold October morning and the dogs had just opened up on a big one. That's what I dreamed last night. Actually this morning, (laughs) it's in my blood. I can't, I can't deny it. I love you. I am who I am. All right. (laughs) Well, um, we were
1: joking about the, uh, Uh, the book earlier because I said, you know, hey, due to COVID, I didn't get, I didn't get a copy of the book. I'm sure it's sitting on my desk in my office. Yeah. Um, and I asked you to tell me about it and you said, well, it's basically, uh, 12 characters in the New Testament that actually spent, you know, face to face time with Jesus and what happened, you know, in that moment and what needs he met and, and all these different things and then you said I, I i correlate that with people that i personally know you know in the modern day and in in similar situations and then you know i kind of break that down and i'm like so you basically have written a, a 12-week series of sermons for pastors if they if if they want to tap into that.
2: Man, I tell you, I would love to give pastors a break. I know uh, how much work you put in uh, to sermon prep and research. And uh, really, this book was birthed out of, I'm an evangelist. That's my calling. That's my gifting. I'm also a pastor, but I've been an evangelist now for 34 years. I'm 47. I started preaching when I was 14. I cannot believe it's been 34 years. And I'd say for the last 20 years, I've probably preached uh, way over a thousand sermons on these 12 characters from the New Testament. Uh, when I was campus pastor at Liberty, I preached uh, a, uh, an entire semester series on these 12 people. And I take these 12 people from the New Testament, and I wanted to write a book that was unique. Because, I mean, man, thousands of books have been written about Jesus. But I wanted to write a book that was different, something that was a brand new approach from a brand new angle that no one had done before. It's my knowledge. And so the way the book is lined up, It's these 12 people in the New Testament that actually had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. I dig into the historical background, the cultural nuances of what made the woman at the well so scandalous. What was it about Judas that we're missing? Um, When when Stephen dies a martyr's death, why does Luke record that Paul— is standing there giving approval to his death. So I dig into all these little aha moments that a lot of us miss. When I talk about how Jesus changed these people's destinies, he changed their outcome, he approached them with mercy and grace and kindness. And then I tell a a modern day story of someone I actually know that I've met who would be a modern day equivalent to that New Testament character. So when I tell the story of the woman who bled for 12 years, and spent everything she had and was dirt poor because people had taken advantage of her desperation. And how in Mark chapter five, she grabs the, the corner of Jesus' cloak and she finds healing in that moment. I tell a modern day story about a friend of mine named Shannon. His father was uh, on a life support machine in the hospital. And literally he was minutes away from unplugging his dad from the machine. Because his dad was dying, and I and I compare these two stories about how, in the moment of death, his father found life, and his dad's still alive today. So that's just one example of how the twelve chapters in the book line up. And yeah, you're right. If a pastor's looking for a break and he's all zoomed out and he's tired of preaching to a camera, I got twelve sermons for you (laughs) right here in the book.
1: (laughs) That book is called uh, "Reborn," and so it's uh a. Available on Amazon, it's sold out right now, but I'm sure they'll be back in stock.
2: Pretty yeah, soon. I think they I think they restocked yesterday. And Todd, your your book should be at your. Uh, I actually just checked. Um, your book should be at the Lifeway offices, along with a little Starbucks gift card for you. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Enjoy a yeah. cup of Joe. <laughs> a Trenta cold brew
1: is headed my way. There
2: you go. <laughs> you know, the book for me. I, I I don't. Sometimes I ask myself, why do I keep writing books? And I think I keep writing because I just love it. And as hard as it can be and as tough as it can be for me, if I'm not doing, if I'm not communicating on a stage and on a page, then I'm not actually fulfilling God's call on my life. It's a, it's a gift he's put in me. And part of my approach to leadership is I'm going to give an account to Jesus one day for everything he gave me, whether it's one talent, two talents, five talents, um, whether I'm low capacity or high capacity leader, I'm going to have to answer to God for, for what I did with the gifts that he put in me. And I just don't want to, I just don't want to waste it. And as I approach 50, you know, I'm closer to 50 now than I am 40. I can, I can feel the urgency of the gospel stirring in me even more and, and writing books is is one of the ways that I try to at least share the gospel in some creative way that helps people connect to Jesus in a, in a really meaningful fashion, you know.
0: Well, Clayton, I know we said we're going to we're not going to talk too much about kind of this COVID season, but I would like to ask because I know a lot of people it is it's good to learn from other people and hear what other people are doing. So for you all at New Spring, does this season look like? And as you look to the future, especially with 14 campuses trying to gather together in per- person with different guidelines is probably going to be a little while. So what has your all's approach been and what have you guys seen as, as a response from your all's church during this time?
2: We're set up with a a team leadership approach, and we do have pastors. We have lead pastors and teaching pastors and campus pastors, but we do ministry as a team. So what it's done for us this COVID season is it's given us a real great opportunity to really come together uh, as a team, as leaders, to ask questions, to listen to our officials, to lean in to um, our governor here in South Carolina, to lean in to health professionals who are giving us great advice and great wisdom and great counsel. And uh, so like every other church, we've had to uh, play team ball. We had to figure out how to keep our people connected. The good thing is our church, we're all about the gospel, but we're also all about discipleship and, and groups. And so we actually start a series this coming Sunday. We've we started a new series called House to House. We're trying to teach our people. If you look in the book of Acts, You see that the church, when it started in its earliest days, it was meeting in the temple courts. That's the big gathering and meeting from house to house. That's groups. So gatherings and groups, gatherings and groups. And we're hitting both of those. We've gone online. Of course, we're doing our Sunday services online. And uh, we're seeing tens of thousands of people tune in right there with us. And uh, we're playing it day by day. And we've got some plans in place for reopening where we can gather again. And uh, this coming Sunday, actually, our leadership team is going to be addressing our church uh, online to let them know kind of what our plans are. Of course, we're going to wait. And if anything changes, we'll adjust accordingly. But we've, we've, it's been a challenge, but honestly, we've enjoyed the challenge. It's taught us a lot. It's shown us that the church is more than just a building. Matter of fact, the church is not a building at all. It's the people. So um, yeah, def- definitely a challenging season that I think we'll look back on in decades to come and say, remember when we got shut down for 10 weeks or so? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe we made it. Yeah, we did. And we thrived.
0: Yep. I really do think there are going to be some silver linings in this, and just as you're saying, going back to the Book of Acts and remembering how the gospel spread in the early days. So, love that you guys are going back to the Book of Acts to study that. That will be awesome.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. And uh, you know, we've yesterday, for for instance, I went to uh, uh, our teaching team meeting, and uh, we've been doing those on Zoom, and we still have some people that zoom in. But yesterday was the first one uh, that I. Personally, gone to physically in the room with people. We were distanced according uh, to the specifications, but it's just great to be back in the room with people. I mean, I love my family, and there's nobody I'd rather be with in my family, but we were created for community. We need to be around people. And for an extreme extrovert like me, people better look out. I may just explode. Like the first Sunday that we're back <laughs> together, I'm hugging a thousand people in the face. First- <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
1: awesome. All right. So let's get into our uh, questions. Who are you presently learning from
2: right now? I'm learning from and I'm just going to uh, go down down a quick little list. I'm leaned in pretty heavy to John Tyson right now. Uh, we had John at NewSpring at our men's conference recently. And I, if you don't, if, if the listener doesn't know who John Tyson is, um, New York City, he's a pastor, he's Australian, actually attended Toccoa Falls College, which is less than an hour from us here in Anderson. And he, to me, is is almost like a a younger version of Timothy Keller and it's not just because he's in New York City. He has a he has a sharp wit, he has a keen intellect and he's got a cool accent which just makes you want to listen to it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, I'm really uh, I'm really enjoying learning from him right now. I just also I try to I try to read a a variety of of theology and uh, from different traditions and different backgrounds, as well as some uh, books about, you know, well, zombie apocalypse, uh, fiction. As a writer, I'm always trying to confuse my muscles. And uh, I just started yesterday uh, the uh, autobiography by N.T. Wright, the autobiography of Paul. And I've read NT right before. I've read his theology. I've read his work on the resurrection. I think he's probably the world's leading theological expert on the resurrection. But this is a biography on the person of the Apostle Paul. And uh, so far, <clears throat> I'm about 80 pages in, and it's really fascinating. I've been to Greece and Turkey multiple times, and our ministry leads study tours to Greece and Turkey where we trace Paul's journeys. And so I'm finding it really refreshing to read someone that uh, actually knows a good bit. Well, more than a good bit about first century cultural context to see his take on the Apostle Paul's background and on his actual life. So so those are the first two that pop into my mind right now.
0: Hmm. You're about the fifth person that I've heard in the past two weeks to, to, to share about that Paul biography. So I'm about to have yeah. to pick it up.
2: <laughs> so, hey, it's, a, so it's, awesome. a, it's a big book. It's thick, it's meaty, but it's readable. So yeah. as, as opposed to not to get in the weeds, but as opposed to the more academic work that Wright has done on Paul and on Jesus, this would be more in line of, of some of his more uh, popular works that anyone can read. I mean, you have to you have to have a Ph.D. to read some of that stuff, because in a lot of Wright's books, his footnotes take up more of the page than his actual writing. <laughs> this is not that kind of book, which makes yeah. it very approachable.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, what is the main em- point of emphasis for your leadership team or yourself right now?
2: For me right now, I will I'm to be very transparent. I am trying to take inventory of everything in my life that I have been doing and was doing up until the point of this pandemic that's affected all of us. Um, I'm trying to ask myself, my wife and I are having this conversation. I'm trying to ask myself, what was I doing that I could not do and not miss that would free up space and capacity in my life Mm -hmm. to do things that I absolutely cannot live without? I'm a busy guy. I get up really early. I put out a, I push out a lot of content. Uh, I, I think I've now published right out a million words in the last 20 years. Um, uh, writing sermons all the time. I'm recording sermons with our teaching team at New Spring. I'm recording stuff at Crossroads. And um, I'm also traveling and preaching a good bit. Well, all of my events were canceled, like any itinerant speaker. I had, you know, 10 big events scheduled where I could preach the content of my new book, Reborn, and sell the book and get the book out there. All of those events were canceled. And so I think this has just afforded me an opportunity to lean into the voice of the Holy Spirit and to really ask the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me right now? What am I feeling in my heart that I could let go of or that I could um, edit out of my life so that I've I've leaned into Dallas Willard again? you know, that was, that would probably be the third person I would say I'm listening to. I've leaned into some of his writings and, and, uh, ruthlessly eliminating hurry was one of his famous phrases. Dallas Willard said that, that he wanted to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from his life. And I'm a guy that, that rushes. I rush from thing to thing. I try to cram in one more coffee, one more lunch, one more uh, podcast, present company excluded because <laughs> I didn't have to cram this one in because of, because of where we are culturally right now. So that's where I'm at. I'm asking the Lord and I'm also asking my wife. Do you like me better now when I'm home and I'm more present? Or did you like me better before when I was running from meeting to meeting with two full-time jobs? And I'm not going to quit one of my jobs um, because we're all asking those same questions. We're all, I had this conversation with Brad Cooper, who's our lead pastor at, at New Spring just uh, last Friday. We had a one-on-one just as friends, brothers. And and we were talking about how it feels now for us as pastors, as leaders, to have a little extra moment margin in our life. And man, I gotta be honest, it feels a lot better. And being really candid, I don't remember feeling this way um, in probably 30 years. I think it was probably ninth grade or 10th grade the last time I remember feeling this at peace. And I think it's the pace of life. And, and you know, I don't want to go here in a conversation, but I've had two really good friends, uh, two close friends in ministry take their own lives in the last year. And I'm sure that you guys know who, who I'm talking about. Um, two friends that both were in ministry. And uh, while I would never, ever presume to know all the causes that, that factored into them getting to a place of taking their own lives, it does cause me to pause and ask myself, okay, what things in my life are unnecessary? that I could let go of. And i tell you what I know is absolutely necessary. Friendships, time with Jesus every morning, prayer, time reflecting on the word of God, marinating in scripture, my relationship with my wife, my, my relationship with my two kids. Uh, and what that means is if I'm gonna prioritize those things which are essential, that I've gotta do the hard work for me, I'm a people pleaser, I'm very insecure, I want people to like me, And so I have to be willing to say no to every opportunity or to every request because there just isn't enough time in the day. One of my mentors uh, told me 15 years ago, every time you say yes to someone outside your family, you're saying no to someone inside your family. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to say no to everything and everybody, but I need to be a little more circumspect. Uh, and discerning as to what all I put on my calendar and what all I put on my
0: plate. Well, thank you for being vulnerable there and sharing about kind of what you've been processing. And, you know, we, we've been talking a lot with churches and, and I think the reality is a lot of people are viewing this time as an interruption to their normal schedule and, and kind of saying, well, in three weeks or four weeks when we reopen, we'll be back. And we've definitely learned that it's longer than that. And instead of an interruption, this is much more of a disruption and it's changing, you know, everybody's using that phrase new normal and saying, when we come back, things are going to be different. And I think it, you know, organizationally, a lot of organizations and businesses have been asking the question, what is the new normal because of this disruption? But what I like that you're, you're discussing here is this is a disruption also in our personal lives to say, Hey, I'm going to go to the drawing board and and do the same way as What's essential and non-essential right now in, in our culture? What is essential and non-essential in my life that I can cut out? And, um, you know, the hurry aspect, it is easy to run. And this is a time of rest. I you know, We were talking with Ken Costa a few weeks back on the podcast. I remember he said that this COVID season is God saying stop yeah. <laughs> to all of us where we want to run, run, run. And now we're forced to just stop and reflect. So. I think I'm feeling that as well. Hearing you say that, I was just voicing a lot of what I've been feeling. So thank you for that.
2: Yeah. I want to come out of this with with better rhythms. When you look at the Jewish nation, they had rhythms built into their calendar. They had festivals. They had the Festival of Booths. They had the Passover festival, uh, the Purim festival. Uh, every, every 50th year was a year of Jubilee. And every 50th year, they would allow some of their fields to lie fallow. and All debts were forgiven. There was a reason why uh, those, those Sabbath laws were put into place by God. He knew that his people needed to rest. And and we see that even in creation. We see, and and I've learned this from Jeff Bethke. He's a good friend. I've leaned into him a good bit. This is kind of his wheelhouse now talking about rhythms of life. I'm just not real good at rhythms. I mean, honestly, I'll be honest with you. Rhythms for me consists of college football season, hunting season, NFL season, NBA season, and like summer camp season. Almost
0: all of those are gone right now. (laughs) It's all gone.
2: (laughs) So the, rhythm, the rhythms of my life were you're right, it's not an interruption, it's a disruption. I just don't want to miss it. I want to come out with better rhythms. And at 47 years old, man, I want to be doing this in my 70s. I want to still be serving Jesus in my 70s. And I want to have kids and grandkids that love Jesus in part because they saw me love Jesus and they saw me allow Jesus to love me. If I'm so busy going all the time and working for Jesus, I can't really receive the love he has for me. So I haven't got it figured out. It's a work in progress, but I'm paying attention.
0: You know, I want to go back to one of the things that you were saying is um, pastors need friendship. And I do think that is an area that can be a struggle because it is, Um, somewhat not superficial, but it's, it's hard to open up to others when, you know, everybody's looking at your life. So could you just share a little bit of kind of how you've pursued friendships in your life and how to, how to go kind of share your life with them where you want to hold back, but you know that you need to share to, to avoid isolation and loneliness?
2: You know, one of my pastors, I've had several pastors throughout my life. Uh, one of my pastors who's still alive, I was having lunch with him one day, years and years ago, he and his wife, and <clears throat> I was preaching for him. And I said, so who, who are the friends in your life that you can go to when you're really depressed or you're sad or you want to quit? And at that point in life, I was going through a real tough time with my family, some sickness that was beyond anybody's control. And I'll never forget my pastor looked at his wife and pointed to her and said, her? I said, who else? Who else do you have besides your wife? He said, well, her. And and it gutted me. And I said to myself in that booth, in that restaurant, God forbid that 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 is ever me. Now, my wife is my best friend, my chief advisor, my trusted confidant. We are one flesh. My wife is, and I don't mean this in a church sense, my wife is my pastor. Like she shepherds my heart more than anyone else. Uh, that's not a role or a title she has in a church, but that's the that's the role that she plays in my life. But I need friendships beyond that. So that was a catalyst for me in that moment when my pastor said he had no friends except his wife. Um, the way that I have approached it from, from that point forward is in order for me to have a friend, I have to be a friend. So I will pursue, I've got, you know, like Jesus, I've got circles of friendship. Jesus had... 72 disciples. Then Jesus had 12 disciples. Among those 12, Jesus had three close friends, Peter, James, and John. Of course, we all know that his best friend was John the apostle. And that's, that's kind of the way I've tried to look at the circles of friendship in my life. I have probably, seriously, I could probably name off right now from the top of my head, seventy. Good friends who are all guys, pastors, and leaders in ministry, and and I keep in touch with those guys. We talk pretty regularly, and then I've got another twelve guys. Some of those guys I I work with at New Springs. Some of them I work with at Crossroads. Some of them are old friends. I've got a friend I grew up with named Brian Burgess, who's a pastor in North Carolina. Those guys are my close friends, and then I've got that that one guy that I could go to with anything. But the the real hard thing, the challenge for us now is we're all so busy. And so it's, it's hard to even get a text in sometimes with your close, close friends. So what I have to do, I've learned this with guys, I think women are, are, are a little bit different than this. But with guys, in order to have that close friendship, we have to do something together. And so sometimes that means a FaceTime call or that means me driving out of my way uh, to have lunch with them. J.D. Greer is a perfect example of this. J.D. and I've been friends for almost 25 years. And he's, you know, he's big dog in the Southern Baptist Convention and and is just one of the greatest guys I've ever met in my life. We live four and a half hours away from each other. So anytime I'm preaching anywhere near the Raleigh-Durham area, I'm going to schedule and plan my, my trip so that I can meet with him so that Veronica and Shari and JD and I can have lunch or that I can go to his house and hang out with his kids. And, and, uh, and I, we just did that back in February. I haven't even laid eyes on JD in two years. But he's one of my closest friends. So I think that for guys we just have to schedule our lives in such a way that we can have close friendships. Now, J.D. lives far away, so there's a limit on the kind of intimacy we can have in our friendship. That means in Anderson, where I live, I've got to have one or two or three guys that I can call at three o'clock in the morning if I'm stuck on the side of the interstate or if I'm in a really bad place emotionally and I know they'll take my call and I know they'll come pick me up. That, that's really where guys struggle. And, and it starts with uh, pursuing those friendships, being vulnerable with those friendships. And that's uh, that's how I approach it. I have I have to be the initiator. I can't wait on guys to initiate friendship with me.
0: That's so helpful.
2: You know, one other thing, too, I, I had a will mention this. I had a mentor that just died. His name was Reggie Campbell. And Reggie's uh, at North Point Church. He was really close with Andy Stanley, one of Andy's mentors. Reggie was in his seventies and Reggie has a ministry called Radical Mentoring. He's with the Lord now, but he mentored our leadership team at New Spring after we had some big transition at our church three and a half, four years ago. And, And one of the things that he told us as men is he said, you'll never have real friendships until you can openly admit all of your weaknesses to a group of guys. And that was the that was the game changer for me to be completely honest about struggles with lust and pride and insecurity and jealousy and anger. And uh, that's been the key to real friendships for me.
1: It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue, like a school or a theater, is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash LifeWay to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. Well, when you look at some of those day-to-day rhythms, uh, and, and I know that they're different right now, but what are a couple of things other than practicing spiritual disciplines that you do to stay sharp as a leader.
2: I get up early. That's probably been my, you know, when people ask me, what's your one secret to great leadership? I could tell you 12 things, but in reality, getting up early in the morning has been the secret, not just to success. I'm not talking about, it's not some kind of self-help thing. I'm talking about like my relationship with Jesus, um, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, the ability to get things done in ministry that need to get accomplished. I get up early, and and that's how I've written all my books. So I think that that's a discipline outside of the spiritual disciplines. If I can get up early, and, and I have a little routine I go through. I drink about 40 ounces of water right when I wake up. Wow. while the coffee is brewing. And then after I drink 40 ounces of water, which kind of gets my system, I, I also practice intermittent fasting. That's I've lost 25 pounds doing that over the last year, year and a half. I'm in good physical shape. I'm sleeping better at night. So I skip breakfast, I drink water, then I drink coffee and that you know kind of keeps me awake. Um, and then what it does is by the time everybody else wakes up and their day is starting, I've already spent time with the Lord. I've already read some scripture. I've already knocked off some things on my list. I've created the list so that I can check some things off. And so I'm fresh and ready to go. That's been something that I've continued to do during the quarantine, during the COVID season. And that's that's made all the difference for me.
0: What does leadership in your home look like?
2: Hmm. Well, I could say a lot, but the first thing that pops into my mind is communication with my wife. I, I, I don't ever want to make a big decision uh, that affects my family or even a, a small decision that affects my family unless my wife and I have talked about it together unless we've prayed about it as a team, I mean, if we're one flesh, if I actually believe, you know, as evangelicals, we all talk about the sanctity of marriage and God created man and woman and the two become one flesh. If we really do believe that, then I have to put into practice on a daily basis, asking my wife how she's doing asking her how we're doing as a family, listening to what she has to say. And then when it comes to making decisions or, or guiding our family and the direction that we're going to take as a family unit, she needs to be involved in that decision-making process with me. And that decision needs to be as much hers as it is mine. Uh, in ministry, leadership-wise, two of the biggest leadership mistakes I've made, and I won't go into the details because uh, we don't have time, but I would say V two, the two biggest leadership mistakes I've made In my life in ministry, I made because I did not listen to my wife when I asked her what she thought and she had a check in her spirit and an uneasy feeling about the direction I was going and I ignored her advice. I ignored her counsel. And so I made a decision after the second big leadership mistake and big failure I made I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to listen to her. Uh, I'm going to ask her what she thinks. And then when she tells me, I'm not going to tune out. I'm going to lean in and then I'm going to actually do what uh, I need to do to listen to the wisdom that God's given my wife, because she is the other half of me. We're one flesh. And so that's my, my number one leadership commitment in my home is that we will make these decisions together as a team.
1: What's it been like, uh, over the years with, with your boys? Um, I mean, you travel a lot and, you know, there's been different seasons of life during that time as well. Um, you know, going to new spring, all those different things. How has that changed over the course of time?
2: Hmm. My, my kids, my boys, <clears throat> they, every parent thinks their kids are awesome. Um, my kids are truly awesome. They love Jesus. They love church. They love their mom. This morning, my my oldest son has an AP exam today, but he got up, he made a cup of black coffee and read his Bible sitting at our kitchen counter. And I have to credit Uh, my wife with that influence on my kids. I, I put her through when I, when I was traveling, when I was campus pastor at Liberty and I was up there every, pretty much every week for eight years, living in North Carolina, traveling to Lynchburg, Virginia, writing books, you know, partnering with Lifeway on projects like True Love Project and Grounded and all this other stuff. While I was doing all that, my wife was traveling and speaking a good bit. She was writing books, but she also homeschooled our kids for seven years. And so while, while I was traveling a good bit, probably too much, my rhythms of life were not as healthy as they should have been. Uh, my wife was obeying the Lord. She was homeschooling our kids, teaching them the Bible, teaching them who Jesus was, not just from the Bible, but through example of her own life. And so now um, our family, the four of us, man, we're close we eat meals together. We go on trips together. My son, my 17 year old son, is going to be speaking at our Crossroads summer camps this summer. He's doing a workshop on something he's passionate about, which is sharing the gospel with your friends. So I'm watching our boys thrive right now. We don't have, we do not have a perfect family, but we talk about everything. We deal with things when they come up. Um, my, my wife really deserves a lot of the credit for that because she invested in our kids in those formative years. For seven years, she's teaching them the Bible first thing in the morning, and uh, and now my kids are super smart and they love the Lord and they've got great personalities. And I'm not saying that homeschool is is everybody's lane. Not everybody can run in that lane. But right now, everybody's kind of running that lane. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> very true.
1: That's very true. Uh, and yeah, we're we uh, just started this year homeschooling. So wow. Uh, yeah, all, all classical stuff. But anyway, um, let's talk a little bit, uh, about what you would tell your 20 year old self. You, you have a, uh, 17 year old who's an evangelist. So I I know that he is not a mini me. Um, you, you've already said the influence of your, of your wife, but I mean, this is a real pertinent question right now. Um, so what would you tell your 20-year-old self about leadership, preparing to lead? What what advice would you give your 20-year-old self?
2: Yeah, number one, don't let anything uh, steal you away from daily time with Jesus. That would be number one. Prioritize time with God. Read the Bible, pray, worship, listen, journal, reflect, uh, whatever you have to do to guard your time with Jesus, because ultimately we were created for Jesus and ministry is a, is a, is a small blip on the screen of eternity. I, I won't be a minister in heaven. Um, there won't be a need for ministry because we'll have Jesus. That would be number one. Number two, get up early whatever it takes, practice the discipline, get up early in the morning, beat everybody out of bed. You need to be the first one among your friends up. You'll accomplish way more over the course of your life if you get up early. Uh, Number three, I would say take care of your body. So whether you play sports or or not, uh, exercise, sleep right, eat healthy food, uh, try to minimize the sugars and the processed foods and, and uh, eat healthy food, drink a lot of water, take care of your body. My dad died at a way too young and I feel his void that he left in my life every single day. Um, so I would tell him, take care of your body. Number four, this is going to be very, very spe- specific. Uh, don't look at porn. I think the number one thing practically that I'm seeing Uh, over the last 10 years, disqualify so many men from ministry may not actually be pornography, but it started with some sort of secret addiction to pornography. Uh, So don't look at porn. And if you struggle with lust, uh, receive the grace of God and find help from your brothers. And uh, then number five, the the fifth thing, thing I would tell him, treat everyone with kindness. Don't act like a big deal. Uh, Celebrity culture, specifically in Christian leadership. I love uh, Billy Graham is my hero. There was never a bigger name uh, than Billy Graham, arguably the most famous and well-known person on planet Earth for 50 years. Um, I'm not talking about influence. I'm talking about what I'm telling my son is don't act like a big shot. And if you ever get a big church or if you ever get a big platform or if God ever gives you great influence, then you need to remember if you are too big for the small things and you're too small for the big things. And nothing, nothing puts me off quicker than being around somebody who thinks they're a big whooping deal. I can't stand it. I, I've got a I've got a gag reflex when it comes to that. And part of that is because I've struggled with it. Mm. I've struggled with it in my own life. And so I'm going to tell my sons, and I tell them every day, you treat every single person the way Jesus would treat them because Jesus died for that person. And so whether it's the cashier at Walmart, whether it's the server at a restaurant, if it's the ticket agent at the airport who just had a terrible day and got yelled at by some irate platinum medallion level flyer on Delta. You show kindness, ask people how they're doing, give them a smile. Don't be cruel. You can be firm. You can be direct as a leader, but there's never an excuse to be cruel or unkind to another person. Those would be the five things I'd tell my son. And I tell him pretty much regularly.
0: Well, those five, five things are absolutely, as a young leader myself, those are convicting and definitely areas to grow. But thank you for sharing that. And thanks for being on the podcast today and sharing, uh, walking through the five leadership questions with us. If you're listening and you have not yet, go pick up a copy of Reborn. It's, It's an awesome book and you can pick it up and start reading it during this quarantine time. And if you have not, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so that other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. Clayton, thanks for joining us. It's
2: been a pleasure. Thanks, guys.